Welcome to the Jeff Knows Inc. Show with your host, Jeff Lopes, where we bring you the world's top athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, influencers, and their journeys to success. We are live. We are live on the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopes. Super excited to have on today, Marcus Koval. What is up, brother? Nothing much. Just, you know, Wednesday morning in Los Angeles, enjoying the, the beautiful weather. We got connected, um, oddly. I, I never knew who Marcus was. He never knew who I am. He's in Los Angeles. I'm in Toronto, Canada. We got tagged on a post and and it brought up a conversation and i was like i just, I just did a little background I'm like this guy is interesting I, i'd love to have him on my show and and a couple weeks later here we go so I, i'm excited to learn more about you and let, let's start off like honestly there's so much to talk about today let's start off let's get right into it like let's start off by you growing up in sweden and and your travels because you've been to so many countries let's let's start the journey and what got you what got you landed and finally into the u.s Oh, wow. I'm going to try to do this quickly. That's a, um, I moved from Sweden when I was 15 to Birmingham, um, which is uh, equivalent of Detroit in, in the US, I would say, as far as just not a great city, not, not a nice city, an industrial city. Um, for anyone that watches MMA, where Leon Edwards is from. And uh, uh, I went to school in, in, in a very rough part of Birmingham called uh, Chamsley Wood, Kingshurst. And uh, that's where I started doing martial arts, by the way, uh, for all the wrong reasons. And then uh, I went from during, I would work in Germany during the summers. I would do summer jobs a month or two months. So almost a total of a year in Germany. Um, after living in England, I got, I, I went back to Sweden uh, at, at 17. I was back there for a year. Um I wasn't wasn't on the right track in in life, I would say, and so I went back to Sweden and then went back to England again to start university. I did one year university, then I went back to Sweden again to join the military. I was with the Rangers with the special forces over there. Um, I got uh, injured badly, where it took me two months to get back to walking again, and then I moved to Paris. Um, so, stop there. So what happened in an injury, and how old so are you? It, you know, it was, a, it was, a, I got need in the back. Um, and, you know, you think in the military and, and in the special forces had nothing to do with that. We were playing a, a sport that's supposed to be non-contact. This guy by mistake was running and he was going to jump over me, but it became a flying knee that landed next to my spine. So I had uh, uh, an internal bleeding next to the spine that put pressure on my sciatica. So uh, yeah, I was bedridden for a couple of days and then started walking with a walking table and with a crutch and crochet for for a couple of months so um you know i, I couldn't continue of course and and once i was out i said all right i'll move to paris so i moved to paris where some friends of mine were living at the time and um then went back to england to finish university once i was done with the university i had no clue what i wanted to do what you what you take what you uh, take in university uh, I went to the University of Kent in Canterbury. Yeah. Um, in a beautiful, beautiful university, beautiful city. Um, and that's where I really started taking kickboxing more serious. I started the university kickboxing club. I um, I won the equivalent of the NCAA, you know, which is abuse over the British yeah. University Sports Association's uh, uh, kickboxing. Uh, and I became sportsman of the year at the university year 2000. That's how old I am. And, uh, 
And then when I was done with university, all I wanted to do was fight. I wanted to continue my fighting career. It was either I wanted to improve my boxing. So it was either Cuba or Mexico. Mexico had, it was easy for me to get into Mexico uh, and get a visa there. So I moved to Mexico and continued my fight career in Mexico uh, in kickboxing and boxing. I started doing boxing to improve my hands, but I fell in love with boxing as well. So I was, you know, boxing. And then. Did you have any, did you ever, ever have any amateur or pro boxing fights? Oh yeah, I'm a, so I fought professionally kickboxing and professional MMA, obviously for yeah. for for quite some time. I made my pro debut in Mexico in 2001, and I ended my career in MMA in 2018, I think it was. So yeah, 2018. So it was a pretty long career, but it was kickboxing and MMA that I fought professionally. Boxing, I fought amateur for a long time. Uh, I fought in the Golden Gloves twice. I, I took. Uh, second one year, semifinals one year, and then I took silver in the title boxing world championships as well. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So uh, the reason I ended up in the US, it's a longer story, I'm going to try to make it short. While I was in Mexico, I was traveling to visit my parents, um, and uh, I, I was with this guy who heard me speak a few different languages, and he asked how many languages I speak, and I told him, and uh, he, he how many, how, many, how many languages do you speak? Six and two halves. Seriously? Um, yeah, the two halves is so... Because I lived in France, I could still read it uh, somewhat and I can understand it somewhat. But when I try to speak it, I speak Spanish with a French accent. <laughs> uh, my Spanish is fluent, my German is fluent. And then, you know, Swedish, Danish, Norwegian, uh, similar languages, but still different. And the, and the other half uh, to me is Portuguese because I'm surrounded with Brazilians. Um, I understand it pretty good. And um, when I speak it, I speak Portuñol, where I mix Portuguese and Spanish. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I'm Portuguese. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and uh, and then, you know, so he asked me also if I had any university education. He asked if I had any military experience. And I told him, you know, I was a ranger. And he said, I think I have some people that want to uh, I would like to get to know you, to speak to you. And I, you know, this is, this is pre 9-11. So um, I didn't have a cell phone that worked in the US. So I gave him my parents' home number, uh, house number. And then I left from visiting. I didn't even think any more of it. And my mom called me and she's received a lot of not so good calls over the years. And then she calls me, she said, why is the US military calling a house looking for you? Um, and um, I went back, I did all the training um, and again, this was pre nine 11. So my social, they, they made, they got me a social. Mm-hmm. Um, so my social is a military social, but then, and I was fine with going, you know, at the time, once the nine 11 happened to go down to Afghanistan, I thought it was a worthy course. Um, and, uh, I came back to, to sign a four year contract and, uh, get shipped out and then they said, we need your green card number. I said, I don't have a green card number. You know, you, you're the ones that sorted everything out for me. But after 9-11, immigration or, yeah, immigration laws changed a lot. And uh, I sat around and tried to get me the, the green card. Didn't happen. So after three weeks, I thought, all right, I can't just, you know, that was my next four years plan, but can't just sit around. So I went back to Sweden. And then I had decided, you know, I do want to live in the US and I wanted to continue my fight career. So it was either... I wanted to be close to the beach. I wanted good weather. So it was either Florida or LA. And at the time, um, LA had a great uh, 
master's program in sports management. So I did my master's in sports management at Cal State Long Beach. I didn't know anything about Long Beach. Uh, all I knew was that Snoop Dogg was from Long Beach. And uh, <laughs> so I moved to LA without, uh, you know, I had a couple of friends that lived here. And yeah, that's how I ended. That was in 2002. And I've been here ever since. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Your parents are still, your parents are still around. They're in Sweden still? Yeah. No, they are actually uh, half the year then, summertime they're in Sweden. You know, in my opinion, Sweden is during the summers, those warm months, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but they spend the winter half of the year in Florida. Interesting. So they're, they're so, you, I mean, they're not too far from you when you, when they are in the winter months. So you visit them, I'm assuming in Florida? Right, right. We actually, the family gets together. We usually spend it with them in, in for Christmas uh, in, in Florida. And uh, even though we all spread out, we're, you know, we're all over the place, all of us, me and my brothers. And uh, how many siblings uh, do you have? Two brothers, the twins, but they're very different. Very, very different. Um, <laughs> where, are they, where are they based out of? So my one brother is in Sweden, is a lawyer, is a partner in a, in a big law firm in Sweden. And my other brother is in Detroit. Um, what does he in do in Detroit? He was in the automotive industry, he's in the consulting industry now. They work a lot with military, it's called um, um, Seraf. And they're based out of San Diego. So luckily he comes down here sometimes, so I get to see him. And uh, they work a lot with the military, a lot. A couple of the people involved with the company are Navy SEALs as well. So um you know they uh uh he's also very active does triathlons ironmans uh we've ran a couple of ultra marathons together uh we ran the grand canyon from rim to rim to rim together and we did uh another ultra that was called the backbone that was 72 miles so uh and my our third brother also runs just ran his first marathon so we're gonna do a couple of ultras together all three of us i think we're still very close as a family that's pretty special. I love that. I love that. When did you, when did you do your first ultra? Uh, that was the Grand Canyon. That was the Grand Canyon, huh? Yeah. How much, how much oh. training went? How much training went into it? Or you just just spurred at the moment? Let's do it. You know, um, running has become a huge part of my life, and uh, you know, I know we'll talk more about what's happened in my life, but it's been a big part of 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 just finding my way back in in many ways as well. So. Uh, we we did after end of my fight career in 2018. My brother said, "Right, you got to do something. We got to do something together. How about we run the Grand Canyon?" And you know, as a fighter, I've always been running because you know, as a way yeah. to keep the weight down and for the stamina. But no, no long distances per se. I ran a marathon in 2004 because someone challenged me, said I couldn't do it. I said, what was your time? She said, four hours and 20 minutes. I said, I'll do under four hours. Watch. And then I trained for two weeks for that. Um, and I didn't, I did it in four hours and 56 seconds, but, uh, <laughs> but that was the fun. And before that marathon, the furthest I'd gone was 10 miles. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I've got four months to train for this for an ultra marathon. So I started running. I'm like, right, you know, how difficult could it be? You put one foot in front of the other, but there's so much that goes into 
long distance running ultra marathons you know as far as yes the mental the psychological aspect of it right god you know it's it was and then an ultra is hard and i you know i had four months to prepare for it and then my brother calls me one day and i'm like you know i just did 22 or 23 miles you know it feels good and he goes where are you running i said oh you know down in manhattan beach he goes have you seen the grand canyon you know and and (laughs) and you need to incorporate some incline training so then i started doing a bunch of incline training a ton and I thought I was prepared, but truthfully, nothing can prepare you for the Grand Canyon. You know, it's a reason why it's considered one of the world's seven wonders. Yeah. And um, uh, that wasn't even the, the issue. The issue was the heat. We did it at uh, uh, in beginning of September, which was a very, you know, it was the memory of my son that I know we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah. And uh, the work that I'm doing as an activist trying to make change in this country when it comes to drunk driving. So we did 50, it's 50 miles, ended up being 52 miles, but uh, 50 for 05. 05 is the BAC, the legal blood alcohol yeah. content level that we're pushing for. But September is really, really hot. And we were in contact, uh, constant contact with the, the rangers uh, in the Grand Canyon. And they said, hey, we can't stop you guys, but we want to let you know that we highly suggest that you don't do this. It's going to be really, really hot. We're uh, expecting 104 degrees. There was wow. a town, 10 mile um a distance where there was no the the pipes were broken so there was no water um and on average you know 18 people die every year at the grand canyon from falling heat uh heat strokes and uh dehydration um and i really didn't really i didn't know what i'd signed up for to be honest it was eight of us that started it was four of us that finished there was two helicopter rescues out of the grand canyon that day um wow it was one of the toughest things I've ever done in my life. It was not 104 degrees. It was 108 degrees. And um, as you go up the North Rim, there's no shade and the heat reflects off the rock. Yeah. So there was parts of it where it was confirmed 125 degrees, but it could have been parts that were, it could have been as high as 150 at times. So um, mentally, one of the toughest things I've ever done. How long did it take you to complete it? 17 hours. Wow. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Yeah. It was let's let's talk special. let's let's talk a little bit about your journey. I mean, your your son Liam and 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 obviously your mission on like it's so powerful. Let's 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 dive into that. All let's talk a bit, a bit about that. I'll let I'll let you go with it. I won't ask questions, I'll let you go with it and you just let let me know what you want to talk about it and we'll take it from there. My my son was killed actually um on the 3rd of september so just a few weeks ago we celebrated celebrated definitely didn't celebrate we uh we passed our our, our six-year anniversary of uh of losing losing my son who was 15 months uh when his life was cut short by a, a woman 72 years old who was driving drunk at 3 30 in the afternoon on a saturday um my my my, my wife's sister Liam's auntie was going to pick up food. Um, both of them were struck by this drunk driving who a driver who didn't stop at a pedestrian crossing. Um, my my niece, my 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 sister-in-law survived, and uh, my son did not. He was declared uh, brain dead the following day. And uh, you know, I've learned I've learned a lot. I've learned so much over the past six years that about in so many different areas that I I would love to have blissfully continued to be ignorant of um but from you know i didn't know that you can be declared dead 
through the brain most time most of the time people die because the heart stop uh so we thought at first he was going to make it we thought he was going to survive um and then to find out that you know his brain had no function so we decided to donate his organs um that was another thing i wasn't aware of how how many people you know you couldn't fill the yankee stadium with all the people that are waiting for organs and it's so easily done today to sign up to be an organ donor um and uh, yeah you know more than 50 percent of the population are not organ donors so i would highly recommend people to sign up to be all organ donors so that other people's can uh, other people can live um and then you know as as a parent you know it's uh it's 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 i don't i can't think of 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 a worse pain than than losing a child right and uh i've always been very even tempered even even emotion like i've never had mood swings i never had anxiety i never had depression and all of that is is part of your grief work coming back and uh it's the the you know it's the toughest fight i've ever had it's the hardest journey i've ever been on and um you know, but I, 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 at the same time, I, I decided while we were still in the hospital that I refuse to let my son's uh, passing just become another statistic of drunk driving. I didn't know how big of a problem drunk driving was in the United States. Um, I didn't know that over 10,000 lives was taken every single year because of drunk driving. I didn't know. That's the equivalent of a jumbo jet crashing every single week. Um I didn't know anything about politics in the United States. I didn't know because that's a mission with a nonprofit, Liam's Life Foundation, is to lower the BAC, um, which, you know, the US is a country that's been very divided over the last couple of years. And um, there's certain things that, you know, you can have different opinions on. But when it comes to drunk driving, it's scientific um we know exactly what each it's, point black, it's black and white it, it's, right. it's, it's, it's right. there's no like uh, yeah i mean go sorry continue but i mean this there's no question about it either you're, you're past the limit or you're not and in reality like you're saying even in canada i mean we're we're, we're very on par with you guys like that limit should be dropped Yes, and Canada, interestingly enough, you know, I've been speaking to over 18,000 high school students over the past six years, obviously two years where I wasn't out because of the pandemic, but, um, sorry, 16,000, not 18,000, but uh, I've been part of this program called Every 15 Minutes, which is a great program specifically teaching young kids um, about drunk driving and 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 the effects and the results of drunk driving and it actually came from canada because canada used to have more deaths every 15 minutes that's the name of the program and that's why um than the us but canada has changed its laws but not just canada more than 100 countries have lowered the legal bac from 0.08 to 0.05 and there's very few laws or bills that can be introduced to be to change the law that has so much statistics behind it as drunk driving we know that in all these countries more than 100 countries the low the limit's been lowered from 0.08 to 0.05 or lower and without a single exception the 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 fatalities due to drunk driving have dropped and in my opinion it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that right but so i was naive enough to think that well this makes sense this will be an easy change in the united states but that's before i knew about lobbying and especially dark lobbying and yeah. you know um 
I live in the U.S. for for a reason. I love the country. Uh, I'm definitely for capitalism. I think if you work harder than others, you should have a right yeah. the right to have it better than others. But I'm also from Sweden, and I know the the benefits of a country such as uh, you know in the U.S. people say socialism, and you know it's the same thing as com communism and Marxism, and it's it's not at all. There's so many advantages with socialism, such as free healthcare, free education. Um, you know. And and uh, when capitalism starts starts penetrating the legal system, the political system, healthcare, well, then and there's no caps, then it's yeah. not good, and and that's truthfully the the problem in the U.S. That's why the population is becoming physically and mentally unhealthier. And you know what? Definitely, once upon a time was the greatest country in the world, in, in the world, and in many ways still is. And but just like if you're a champion of if you're if UFC champion, just because you're the best doesn't mean that you don't have areas where you need to improve. Improve on, yeah. And 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 that's where we're at in the United States. And until we get a, uh, you know, handle this lobbying system, nothing's going to change, unfortunately. So that's what we have a documentary that's coming out about this. But that's the fight I'm doing as an activist. But truthfully, where I feel like I can do help the most, you know, I I. People always say, find your why, find your purpose. I already had my why. I already had my purpose What with what I do with martial arts. Um, but I have a second why, which is obviously to 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 change drunk driving laws. We know, again, lowering it to 0.5 will save over 2,000 lives a year. 2,000 lives a year, right? There's 2,000 two families. They're not, yeah. That, that, that are, are not, that will never, they're shattered. I want to talk about that with you in a bit. I mean, go finish that. I want to, there's some questions I want to ask you, but I mean, it's, it's so, yeah, shattered. You're, you're not, it's, it's the, it's the ripple effect, the ripple effect where I'm, I can, as a dad, as a dad that my, my son spent the first four months of his life at sick kids hospital. We almost lost him three or four times. He put us in a room to stop to, to shut him down. And I refused it. And I kept the process going and I kept the process going and, and, and he's beat every odd possible and he's a 14 year old, healthy, strong. And, but as a dad feeling in my mind and it just reacting to what you've been through, where nothing will ever make that moment change. Nothing will ever make that moment better. I don't care who you are. I mean, the grief there, there's, I, I saw a post the other day when it was it showed, it showed um, uh, a bought two bottles and it showed a ball in the bottle, a small ball. And, and they said grief over time. Like people say grief over time. You, you start accepting it. That's all bullshit. What happens is you just, it's just, it just, it just, you learn how to deal with it. You learn how to consume it. That's all it is. Right. And, and, and the biggest, I think fear for any parent is, is what you've been through. Right. I mean, you never, never, ever want to go as a parent through a situation like you've been through and, and, I just have to ask you when you where were you when you got that call? Ah, uh, uh, I was asleep. I was asleep, and so there's something called uh, Fiesta Hermosa in Hermosa Beach, and me and a couple of the fighters uh, from the gym. You know, we have a really tight bond with 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 that uh, with the guys, and it was over ten people. You will see Christos Yagos, for example, is in the UFC. He has a tattoo on his shoulder saying. Liam and me, him, 
This other fighter, Dima Gerasimov, who was the Celtic Gladiator champion, uh, we were going down to this party. And uh, me and my wife, you know, we had uh, had a date night the night before, so we'd been out late and uh, hadn't slept much. I've been teaching in the morning. So I said, you know what, let me just take a quick nap um, and then we'll go. And so I wake up from the neighbor screaming um in the in the hallway to the to the apartment so i go out uh and i see her and she's crying and she said uh your baby your baby uh and so i um i ran out and it was close to the gym it was on the street outside you know just at the pedestrian crossing literally a, a block away so i see these police cars and I, an ambulance is you know the whole street is closed off and uh I run down um, and uh, I write about this in, in my book that I wrote called Life is a Moment, um, which spells out Liam, right? Um, about the, it's, you know, when you watch a movie, a war movie, and everything is like silent, it's almost like once a bomb's gone off, right? It's that silence. The only thing I remember is running and it was hot. And I was remember because I was barefoot, you know, I left everything and I just ran and the heat, from the from the pavement uh the asphalt and i get down there and the first thing i see is liam's stroller just in two pieces uh his little green frog that he slept with every night on the floor and that's why the the logo for the for the non-profit is a green frog and that animalistic feeling of you know almost like a predator like like a like a like a lion that's confused scared hurt and i was just looking for someone to lash out on you know uh i remember police officers tried to stop me from getting in and and you know pushing them aside and it's my son uh and then i see my wife uh you know crying and they told us jump into police to a police car we're going to follow the ambulance he's got a pulse his heart is is beating a police officer had done cpr on him um and got his heart to start again and you know we followed the ambulance to to the hospital and yeah you know at first i said you know we were waiting we stand for hours you know and i you know i left everything i left our dogs you know i left the door open and so I had to call D-Max and, and I said, you, you got to take care of our dogs, you know, just close the door. And uh, he, you know, told, called everyone. So I, I don't know how long until people started showing up at the hospital. I have, I don't know how media found out, you know, I was just focused on this and, and uh, it became world news. You know, it was everywhere from CNN to, to, you know, it was on the news in Japan. Czech, Czech Republic and um, everywhere. So, you know, we were in this bubble of, of just trying to see what's going to happen with our son. And 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 um, then all of a sudden they told us that they they were going to take uh, they were going to they were going to his 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 ribs were broken. One of his lungs was punctured. And he, as a fighter, I'm like, OK, that's bad, but he's going to he's going to survive. You know, he's going to be OK um and and then they they were gonna take him to to do a check on his brain um and then and then all of a sudden they they moved him and they not don't tell us anything they don't um um can you hear me by the way the receptionist yeah, yeah. a little bad 
I could hear you perfectly. Uh, and uh, so they um, they move into a different floor, and 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 I said, uh, you know, what's going on? What's happening here? And they said, uh, oh, they they uh, are going to do a cat scan on him. There's 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 not very much movement. The 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 the, the reflexes they're looking for, and that's when they. Um, uh, said they originally were going, were going to to drill open a hole because they saw that there was blood on the brain, and uh, and then they decided not to. And again, they weren't the best communicators, but I understand, right? They were they were trying to do what they could, and all of a sudden, um, they uh, they called the doctor who took us into a room, me and my wife, and I said, "What's going on?" You said you were going to operate on him, and he said. Um, Looking at the CAT scan, uh, we don't think we don't think he's alive. Uh, and uh, you know, the 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 what happens, and again, learning right. In order to declare someone brain dead, two doctors have to do the tests. Then you have to wait for twelve hours, and then two doctors again have to do the tests again. In order to declare someone brain dead and to have to go through uh these tests and and then wait 12 hours right and the last the, lo- the last thing that leaves a human is is hope and uh at one point his uh his finger was moving uh so you think like in a movie right that's the first sign and he's gonna wake up and everything is gonna be fine and uh, then you learn that it, that 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 move is not from the brain; it's from the from the nervous system. So, you know, it's those things that that makes you, God. Like it's pain I would never wish upon on my worst enemy. It really isn't. And and so they went through this test. It didn't make it. And uh, yeah, that was that was it. Could, could that was you, and that's. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, two things. I, I, I've never been, and I don't know if you are or not, but I, I've never been a very religious person. I wasn't brought up in a religious home. So um, I, I'm a strong believer in in certain aspects of almost the Buddhism, like be good to other people, be good to you. Like there's certain aspects of life that you 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 follow and 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 really try to live by. When 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 my son was in the hospital and and I had a lot of my my in-laws that are very coming from a very, very religious background were all pushing upon religion and prayers and all this and 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 I would sit there and watch we're very lucky we have one of the best pediatric hospitals in the world in Toronto Canada but I would watch walk through the hallways and see so many children with cancer or so many children he was in the ICU on the fourth floor, which was the most in- intense ICU on the on, in the whole hospital, and it was six beds. It was a rotating every day. It would either every couple of days a, a child would pass away there, and there'd be another baby in there, and and it would it would really question my belief in in, in God and belief and all that stuff. Where was your mindset with with your beliefs and all that? Like, how did you feel like, with all that pain, with that anger? How did you feel with that? <sighs> You know, I'm not religious either. I'm yeah. I'm agnostic. I believe in something. I don't yeah. know what. But so you're something. very much like me. Okay, you're very much like with me. 
Yeah, certainly not organized religion, but um doesn't it yeah. question don't you question everything? Don't you question like how the fuck is this all happening when there's so much evil in this world, so much shit happening in this world and, and an innocent angel is, is taken away? Like it just shit like that just it just it it blows my mind away. It just it just it really made me question a lot and 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 build at that moment. I mean, obviously you, you change over time, but and and I was one of the lucky ones, but I, I, that hatred towards people that are trying to push that on you. And there was a lot of people trying to push that on us at that moment, right? We were getting priests in the room all the time and trying to, and I was just like, it was just, it was really, really um, a moment of like, I shouldn't even say this, but if there was a God, like, why is this all happening to all these children? You know, um, I just watched something the other day. Uh, and it was, oh, I can't remember the name now from the book where is Abraham and Isaac when, you know, he's told to, to take his son's life. Um, and I saw an image of, you know, he's raising the knife to, to, to take when God says, oh, don't do it. It was a test. And I can tell you this, if there's a God, I don't want a God like that. I don't want a God who tells someone to take the child's life and, you know, no one saw he's actually going to do it. You say, oh, it was just, I was just testing you, right? That, how how small-minded, how dare you, you know? How would you, just from knowing that pain, right? So um, a lot of people, a lot of people did that, right? Where they're like, you know, my prayers. Uh, um, and here's the thing, for me, I know people meant well, right? Yeah came from a good place it just sometimes comes out clumsy yeah. and and i get it you know i had a friends too who said i don't know what to say and there, there is nothing that you can say no. nothing that you say that can make it better you know just just be there but it was it was someone and i got this a lot you know people saying like you know everything happens for a reason you know i'm like no <laughs> uh, and 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 someone said to my wife actually wrote to her said um he's in a better place. Oh, and my wife said, God. what can be a better place than his mother's arms? And, you know, at least the, 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 the woman that wrote said, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. It's just what I've always been told. So I just, and, and I get it, you know, and I've, I've had people say, um, really clumsy things, clumsy things to me. I was, I remember I was at a, because it became world news, we were at a wedding and this guy comes up and he's from England and, and uh, he's like, oh, I know who you are. I know your story. I followed it. And he's like, you know, but something good that came from it was, you know, at least every night, you know, when I, when I tuck my son in, um, when I tuck my son in, you know, I give, I hug him a little, a little extra hard at night. And first and foremost, like I'm at a wedding. It's not what I want to hear. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's good that you get to hug your son a little, little, little harder you can give him a little harder hug right but i get what he meant and yeah. i don't get yeah. angry um no, you, you can't of it. you can't um and um but um uh, yeah it's 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 hard to be religious and I, which i think for anyone uh you know to question that but yeah uh you know on a, on a more philosophical level you know they they say you don't get given pain you can't handle but that's not true at all no. either because i've met so many parents and especially dads that lost children and they never come back mm -hmm. so now instead of one life lost two or three is very common for for parents to separate after losing a child and i understand i understand why uh or i believe i understand why and i think it's because you know if you if you loved each other enough to create life 
And then when that life is gone, you can no longer stay together. Um, you know, you you may, it makes you wonder why. But from having experienced it, it's when people can't communicate their grief because everyone I, I, grieves I, differently. I was going to ask you that, and 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 like I said, I, I told you before we went on air. Um, we just um, my, my myself, my wife just had her nineteen year wedding anniversary, and my my story is all a lot different than yours. But um, when my son was in the hospital, those four months, we would we would get to the hospital at six in the morning. It was we would leave the hospital at six at night to go pick up my daughter from daycare, come home seven days a week. We did that, and it was rotating and weird. And we would spend about six hours a day just by his bedside, right? And yeah. six seven hours a day, and then the rest would be appointments and doctors and stuff. And every night we had to leave him there, not knowing if we were going to come back the next day and he would be still alive. And it was just four months of this, and we really didn't communicate. I mean, my, my therapy was my dog, my lab. I would literally take my dog for like a two hour walk, Marcus. And that was my time just to clear my head every night. And then I would go home and study everything the doctors were doing with him. And I would come back the next day and be able to sit around the circle table with all the doctors. We had seven departments. We had seven organs that weren't functioning. And we had seven doctors, seven departments all following him. So I would sit every morning. They have a round table. We sit in the table and, and we would discuss what the approach or what was going to happen that day. And, and I was a part of that. And I, from day one, I was very heavily active in, in everything they did with them. Like even to the point where at three in the morning, if they want to do blood work, they would have to get my approval. They would call me to get my approval. And, but for that period, my, myself, and my wife, we would get home and we wouldn't talk. We went through about four months where it, it, our main focus was just getting him on, getting him home, but we had no communication. And it took a, it took a little while to, before we really started bonding again to when he got home because our focus was him. So, how 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 was the period after with your with your with your marriage? And how did you guys how did you guys get through it? Like you said, your communication. Like I think this is important for other people to hear, right? Yeah, yeah. I think because you don't have to have your life shattered to learn to communicate better right so yes yeah i'm sorry that you had to go through what what did your son have sorry i just he was he was born with a condition my my wife got um ill during the pregnancy and um he was born with a condition called um high drops and it caused um it caused pretty much all the fluids in my wife to be sucked into him he became anemic in my wife and he was slowly dying inside my wife and um and my wife thought she had a 31 weeks pregnant. She thought she had a cold. She called the doctor and uh, the doctor was, the doctor was, uh, don't worry about over the phone. You just have a cold, have some chicken soup. And my mom that never interferes in our, in our marriage at all, for some reason had talked to her that day. And he's like, she called me. It was a fry. She's like, take Lucy to the hospital today. Take, and she called me and my mom never called. She called me seven times that day. My wife got home yeah. from work. I'm like, we're just going to go check the baby. Let's go to hospital. So we went to this little smaller town that has a, a, a very basic hospital. It's a, and we went through, they, they did uh, they did a quick little ultrasound. They're like, you got to get to your delivery hospital. The baby's heart rate is slowing down. And we rushed to the delivery hospital and everything started from there. When, when my son was born, he was pronounced dead at birth. And um, wow. they were trying to revive him. And the doctor came in, and this is going back to the whole religion thing. Uh, he looked at me and my parents, and my parents, are, my parents are the most unreligious people he ever made. My, my dad has passed away recently. And, um, and, uh, yeah, he was very close to me and, uh, and the doctor looked at us and I still have this, I still have his face in my head when I see this, he says, God created a life today, but God has decided to take it away from you. That's exactly what he said to us in a room. 
and uh and it lost is, is uh, one day we'll talk about it but it was it was it was a lot of moving pieces that just happened to happen correctly to get him to where he was and and like he the hospital sick his was full that night and um they were going to bring him to another hospital it was an hour and a half away and they said he most likely won't make it there and a baby passed away opening a space at sick kids and they were able to do a ue with the ambulance to go to sick kids which is all these moments happening right and um uh and when he was discharged from the hospital he was discharged um four months later we forced a discharge and he was discharged with CP, several palsy. And they said he would be confined to a wheelchair his whole life, most likely. And we went from possible wheelchair, and I'm all about fitness from day one. So I've been fitness and therapies and life therapies and touch therapies, everything from day one. We went from possible uh, wheelchair to AFOs. He was wearing braces up to his knees. They said he would be in braces, which was a big miracle. But he'd be in braces till he was about 21. By his 12th birthday, he was out of braces, ran his first marathon at 12 years old with me. And it's been this incredible journey. Wow. Oh, you can see, I'll send you videos. If you go to my pages, oh, you'll see it. Uh, no, not a full, uh, a 5K, 5K. Yeah, but wow. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. You, you gotta see this kid. He's, he's all about fitness. He works out every day with me. It's just life is, uh, he's he's incredible. He's incredible. He's my, my, my little angel. He's an, an amazing, amazing little kid. And, um, but uh, yeah, so it, it was all these different diagnoses. Like he's, um we actually went on I, I think i told you we went uh monday monday to sick kids he's only he was followed by six departments now he's down to one department and the tests were so good that never know no one's going to see us in two years and if everything goes right he'll be discharged fully uh, he was part of his brain was damaged his brain was um a big chunk of his brain was damaged at birth and his whole right side of his body had very little function and through fitness he's now balanced up he learned how to do everything with his left hand and he's became this incredible little left-handed pitcher where I mean, this kid plays plays rep baseball, and yeah, it's been this incredible journey, incredible, incredible journey. So yeah, so it's been like I said, that moment. Um, going back to what you're saying that moment, um, it took me and my wife a good period before we started really building, communicating again. So let's go back to that what you're saying. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> luckily we we communicate well, and and um, that was never there was never an issue and if anything it just just brought us closer to each other and um, awesome but um but i can understand right because you know my 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 wife's very intelligent and um but when you when you're so completely distraught you know you're uh you know always being rational so she didn't and she understands the brain very well and you know she has a minor in psychology and uh, has done you know studies on, on on the brain so she knew but she just refused you know i could tell you the very hardest moment of my life was leaving my son's side for the last time uh when they were going to take him and not just having to leave myself you know where i was leaving what i was programmed to always protect um to but I had to carry my wife with me. I had to forcefully take her with me. She refused to leave. And we 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 grieved. Our grief was very different, you know. Uh, me, I'm I'm a doer. I started just going, 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 you know, and I had to do. And uh, she's the opposite, you know, she's does yoga and ballet and paints, she's writes poetry. And so we our, our ways of grieving was very different, but I think we also helped we helped each other um, because you know I would pull her along, pull her with me because you do have to move, and she would slow me down because I was going way too fast. Like I was going, 
you know, recklessly fast. And it, it came to an end one day where I just, I couldn't get out of bed. You know, I just, and I was frustrated. What was wrong with me? You know, why can't I, I physically could not get out of the bed and, um, and learning, you know, it, I, you know, depression again, which is one of the stages of, of grief. Um, you know, it was, it was very hard for me because I'd never experienced anything like it. So I didn't know what it was, you know, I, I had, I had a panic attack, uh, and, and I, I couldn't breathe and, and it felt like, you know, I was dying my, my chest. And then I remember, you know, hearing that's how people describe a panic attack. And, and so dealing with that and, and the first was my memory. You know, I, I pride myself on, if I say I'm going to do something, if I'm going to be somewhere at a certain time, I'll be there, you know, and I'm not a flaky person, which is rare in Los Angeles, but, um, so, but all of a sudden, you know, I would completely just forget things. I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember things I was going to do. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw a therapist together, which I'm very, very happy that we did because one, she was amazing. Um, and two, she would explain these things to me. Like she'd explain that once, you know, your brain is dealing with trauma, uh, so powerful it, and, and it, it can't focus on too many things at once. That's why it's very common that once memory gets really, really bad during times like this and, you know, explaining, uh, our different ways of grieving. Right. And so I'd learned, you know, I learned from it. And, uh, but as far as depression, you know, one of the things as, as a fight and as a, you know, gym owner and personal trainer over the years, working with clients, I've had a lot of clients tell me, you know, you know, they weren't motivated or they were depressed and I, I could never relate to it. I could, I can sympathize with it, but I couldn't empathize with it. Right. Because yeah. I never experienced it. I couldn't relate. But now I can, and you know, it's changed me in many ways. Where you know, I see someone, and 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 I, I can just see how broken they are as people. You know, I've always been good at reading people, and I believe part of that was from reading body language really well. And part of, and the reason for that was moving to countries where I didn't speak the language, especially yeah. when you're younger. You know, you're the new kid in class in school. You get tested, and it's that survival, right? You want to see who's your friend and who's your foe. So you got to learn when you don't speak the language. You better learn how to understand body language. Um, but now being able to take that, but seeing the mental side of it, you know, you know, I don't, I truly believe that no one with very few exceptions, with a small percentage of people that are born with a chemical imbalance, I think very few people are born evil. Even those people that are born with a chemical imbalance, I don't think are naturally evil. It's in conjunction with, you know, it, they talk about, you know, nature and nurture and it's the nurture, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's that's truly my mission, along with mixed martial or not mixed martial arts, but martial arts. I'm not mixed martial arts. That's a professional career. I'm a martial artist first and foremost, and martial arts helped me tremendously through the grief work that I've done. And when I speak, I speak on this a lot on on beating depression and coming out on the other side. And how do you know that you've come out on the other side? I know that because I can truthfully tell people that I'm happy. I live with a huge scar on my heart, you know, but I'm a happy human being and I lead a happy life and I'm on a mission, you know, I'm on a mission to, to help as many people as I possibly can. Um, and, and that, you know, you help people become better human beings, happy human beings in, you know, indirectly you're making the world a better place as well. So indirectly, indirect mentoring, I think is such a special thing. Yeah. I think it's such a special yeah. thing. You said that, can I, can I ask you a question? You have two little ones yeah. now. Uh, Nico and Luna. 
Mm -hmm. As a father now, how, and I'm just trying to put myself in that scenario. And and Mm -hmm. obviously time changes things because you get more, it's like, like anything, like you, 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 when you, when you have a baby for the first time, you're very protective. And as they start moving and older and you start getting less protective and you start allowing them to do their, are you, was there a time and is there still a time when, because of everything you've been through that you're overly protective, you're overly just, I got to hold them close to me to make sure nothing happens to them. Are you like that as a father? Like, how does that, how do how do you interact with that? And why I'm asking is I'm, I'm curious for myself, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. Um, you know what's? I don't know if you remember. On my my son was they were he was hit on the third of September, on the fourth of September he passed away or was declared dead. Um, on the fourth of September, one year earlier, I don't know if you remember a picture of a little boy named Alan, a Syrian boy who had drowned, a three year old. There it was a picture that was on. He was on a, lying. His body was lying on a beach, and I remember seeing an interview with his father, and I was trying to, you know put myself in you know what what is he going through but your your mind your brain doesn't allow you it protects you you can't you know you go there and it just don't touch that you know come back and and you can't you can't and and it's you can't go there and you can't experience you can't imagine it and and it's good because it's so painful right um so then once it's happened you know, it's, I think it's very easy to become overly protective and we've worked very, very hard to make sure that, you know, we, we, Liam was very, very curious and so are Nico and Luna and we want them to, to have that, to stimulate that curiosity and they have to learn from, from falling at times and, and, and failure. Right. But, um, and, and, and it's hard, but we're very conscious of it and, and, and the hardest part hasn't even started yet. Right. He's, during training, he does martial arts every day and we want him to have fun and, you know, be with his friends. But yeah, I, it, we, we're very aware of it, but one day he's going to drive for the first time, right? It's going to be around friends and and having that conversation about not getting in a car with a friend who's who's been drinking and also not allowing your friend to drive and drink and drive because it's not just about not drinking and driving yourself. It's like anything in life, right? Don't let others, you know, don't let others say, say no when it's not okay. And especially in the US, I know everyone's had a friend that have been drinking and they ask them, hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? And the answer is always the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm fine. Why? Because that, that's why you drink in the first place, because your confidence goes up and you feel like you're Superman. That's the problem, right? So that's why we shouldn't drink and drive. And if there was ever an excuse, which there wasn't, but if there was, that's been taken away because with Uber and Lyft and everything else, other, other drive share options and taxi, you don't have a reason. You don't have an excuse. To, and now when we know these facts, we know the statistics, we know that 66% of the U.S. population has uh, been impacted by drunk drivers, you know, whether it's a friend, family, you know, anyone. What's your what's your mindset with, um, you're in L.A., so obviously in Toronto, in Canada, it's, it's legalized, in L.A., it's legalized too, um, marijuana and driving. It's the same thing. It doesn't okay. matter what it is, okay. right? It's it's and and that's you know I called out Tiger Woods uh, on Twitter when when he was arrested um, and some some numbnut uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you can 
what language you can use on your show here, but uh, <laughs> some some moron wrote, it wasn't alcohol, it was pills. And I wrote back, you realize that the I in DUI stands for influence. Um, any type of toxic that will affect your ability to maneuver a 2,000 pound uh, thing that can- It's a lethal what, weapon. It's a lethal weapon. It, it is. And it's it's a responsibility. So I don't care, you know- if like with alcohol, right? If you want to drink yourself to death, that's sad for your family and friends, but that's your decision to make, right? But as soon as your decision will affect, potentially affect other humans, then it's no longer your decision to make. You know, yeah. a lot of times, unfortunately in the US, and again, from being an activist working against drunk driver, driving, driving, I've had a lot of, you know, not so smart things said. Um, and, and one of the things is, you know, it's when Americans unfortunately mistake freedom for being a selfish a-hole, right? And it, it's the same thing. I don't think as Americans, I think that's worldwide. I mean, that's just yeah. I, yeah, I think that's a global like, issue, right? Oh, absolutely. Being being selfish is a global yeah. issue. But he unfortunately in the US a lot of times is, oh, but that's freedom. But no, but it's not it's not about freedom. It's not about, you know, there's there's many countries in the world that are very free, but it's about doing what's right towards your community, doing what's right towards your population, your the, the people that you you have a responsibility towards the, your 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 fellow citizens, your fellow Americans, your fellow Canadians, Swedes, whatever it is, right? And and that's where I think when it comes to areas where the US can improve is when it comes to, hey, it's not just about you and what you want. It's about what was best for the country as a whole. And 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 that's you know, that's 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 hard. So so, so um, when you say when you say the lobby the, the lobbyists and they get involved, like give, give me more of an understanding. So I mean I'm I'm very I'm very green on that. I don't understand that. Like, so give, me, give me, give me, give me, give me like a, a Coles note version of what that actually means and how are they stopping it? Is it, is it all, is it the, is it the bigger, like the, 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 the alcoholic companies, like the companies that are making the, they're the ones with the money. They're the ones stopping this all. That's what you mean by that. I'm assuming, right? Yep. Same with yep. the pharmaceutical companies and all that stuff. They're all the same. All, All the same. same, it is, huh? And that's why lobbying is such a like the idea behind lobbying is great, but again, when it comes to when there's no cap on lobbying, when 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 publicly traded companies can lobby have lobbyists working in DC, right? And and that's truly where the problem is because a publicly traded company is a sociopath. And what I mean by that is if you are, if you have a private owner of a company, even if you're not a nice person, you have some morals, you have some ethics usually, right? But a publicly traded company is the sociopath. It has no emotions. It has uh, one job, one function. That's it. It's providing shareholders. Bottom line. That's all it is. And so when, when a publicly traded company can lobby under the of freedom of speech, which is not right, because it's not an individual. So, but that's what's happening. That's why America is getting sicker. And and unhealthier for every year that goes by. It's you know, this shouldn't be Coca Cola vending machines in an elementary school. You know, it's not by coincidence that they ended up there. Yeah. You know, when you look at when you look at the opioid problem that we have in the United States. Now, I remember I remember listening to to someone you know talking about what we need to do and we need to have programs and and da da da. And I'm like, wait, if you look at the crack problem in the 90s, right? It was illegal. It was cocaine that was smuggled into the US illegally that was then distributed among the gangs that would cut it up with baking soda and then illegally distributed, right? It was very hard for law enforcement to get that was the war on drugs. 
opioids is produced in the United States. Pharmaceutical. By doctors. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Pharmaceutical companies, and not all of them, and not all of not everything that they do, they do good things as well. But certain ones, some big names that you can think of, have more American lives on their conscience than any tor- terrorist organization around the world. And it's just because of one thing. They're, bi- they're, they're, they're billion dollar, they're billion dollar industries, right? They're, 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 they control. I mean, when you're going to big pharma, you're, you're looking at companies that control everything. I mean, I was just listening to a podcast the other day and they're saying on, on channels like CNN, they buy up 80 to 90% of the ad space. So it's just, just constant money. in your face, in your face, in your face, in your face, you always, you always, some, always somebody with a smile on their face, always having, have somebody having a great day. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... And and so when you look at that, right, and, and that's, again, back to capitalism. Capitalism is great, right, in many ways. But when there's no cap, when it completely infiltrates the, 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 the structure of the country, then there's a problem. And so with drunk driving, and the truth is with drunk driving, I don't even um, think it's necessarily the alcohol companies. I think some alcohol companies somewhere have some morals. Um especially, you know, smaller ones that are not publicly traded. But, but but when it comes to, so the problem is the dark lobbyist and the dark lobbyist goes to, so Utah is the only state in the United States that loaded from 0.08 to 0.05. We've been, I was in Utah when it was lowered. Um, and we've had the bill, with the bill introduced in California, known as Liam's Law, to lower it to 0.05, from 0.08 to 0.05. It was killed. It was killed in the public safety committee. And and that's nuts, right? It's It's crazy. So, the problem in Utah that we saw was not even the alcohol industry. It's the dog or lob- lobbyist that goes to Utah. It's, a, it's an intelligent businessman or woman who says, hey, you need us. We need to fight for you. Because if this goes through, then it's going to hurt your bottom line, right? You're going to oh, go bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. So they rallied not just the alcohol industry, but the bars, the nightclubs, the, the restaurant associations, the tourist associate, tourism associations of Utah, Salt Lake City especially, and said, um, you need us to fight for you, to not lower the BAC from 0.08 to 0.05. And this specific group is called ABI, the ABI, the American Beverage Institute, led by Rick Berman, who holds 12 or 13 of these nonprofits set up as a nonprofit. And I was confused to why. And at first, you know, what a professional name, right? Uh, the American Beverage Institute sounds so professional, right? And it's Rick Berman, who is behind these nonprofits, all of them in different areas. He's the man behind saying that secondhand smoke doesn't kill, you know, um, trans fats aren't bad for you. He was on 60 Minutes. He was no, he was dubbed Dr. Evil. His own son has disowned him, saying, my father is a demon. Like, that, you know, how, how can a man like that work? Like, that's someone that truly has American lives on his hands. So um, he was the man, the American Beverage Institute that was fighting in Utah and us as well. And here's something really interesting. I had an uh, op-ed in the Washington Post. Yeah. Three days later, one of these spokespeople for the ABI had a rebuttal to what I was saying. How can a how can a, a, a dark lobbying group such as the American Beverage Institute be allowed to have a rebuttal in the Washington Post to oh. something that can so and and they do the same thing. It's the same blueprint every time, right? Um, the point the finger in a different direction. Drunk driving isn't the problem. Texting and driving is the, is the problem, which is also a problem. Yeah. But that takes some 3,000 lives a year, not 10,000 lives a year, 
right? And pointing your finger at a, a different problem doesn't solve the problem at hand, no. right? So, so it's it's very frustrating, and that's what we see today. Social media is amazing, right? It's so amazing because it can get you information that we couldn't get before and big companies can be held responsible that's the beauty of social media but these big companies are not stupid so they've realized hey we can no longer hide facts but what we can do is skew them right so that's what they do and and in in utah for example the abi had these big billboards put up go to utah on vacation leave on probation um and they're saying that oh you can no longer have a beer with your dinner and and drive uh, but here's the truth, you know, can someone be uh, get to 0.05 at one bit? Very unlikely, but can it happen? Absolutely. Say you never drink, you're a smaller female at 90 pounds, for example, and you haven't eaten all day and because it's all dependent on these things, yeah. right? So could it happen? Yes. But what people don't realize, do you know, 0.08, most people know that that's the American, the legal BAC. scene. Do you know what 0.08 means in drinks? No. It's four to five drinks. For an average male of 170 pounds on an empty stomach within an hour, a 0.08, you know, you have a legal term in the, you have a term in the United States, legally drunk. A 0.08, you should not be making decisions. We know what each 0.01 of BAC does to your reaction time, to your decision making. It's, it, you shouldn't, in my opinion, you shouldn't have a single beer if you're going to drive, right? Um, because you don't have to, but, but 0.08, it's insanity. It's literally insanity and low. And here's the frustrating part. We're not trying to fight the alcohol industry, right? We're just saying, don't get behind the wheel when you've been drinking. Yeah. Frustrating thing is this study showing that if you're not driving, people are willing to stay out longer and drink more. It's not going to have an effect. So if anything, it. yeah, it's, it'll, it'll be a positive to the bottom line. If it's, if it's actually educated properly. We have studies showing, like in Europe, where the drinking culture is much stronger than the U.S. Countries oh, such as Holland, Portugal, right? Portugal, all of them, yeah. where the drinking culture is much stronger, where the BAC was lower to 0.05 or lower many, many years ago. We're talking 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. And the alcohol consump consumption has continued to go up. Yeah. But we have a... Third you, of them you, my wife was just in Portugal to um, spend time with her her dad, and, and she was with the kids there for a week. And uh, you go to any fast food joint, McDonald's, Burger King, all combos are served with a beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have alcohol in Holland <laughs> as well, Germany. Yeah, but yeah. but the difference is, but part of it is also the social stigma of drinking and driving. Sweden is not just about you know defining and losing your license and. If you're lucky not enough not to crash and, and hurt someone else, right? But it's the stigma of like you don't do that. Yeah. You don't do it. And and that's what's the problem. That's part of the problem in the US where you have movies where it's fun, you know, people are drinking, drinking, driving. Look at, you know, 40-year-old virgin. It's like, oh, you know, it's funny that you're drinking yeah. and it's not funny. Yeah. It's not funny when you know the results of drinking and driving. What can happen? What does happen? What does happen, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's this is, this is, this is, it's, 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 I mean, I mean, I'm praising you for obviously taking on this battle and it's, it's, I mean, it, it's crazy. Like I, 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 now that you're actually breaking down the whole understanding of the lobby list and, and what they do and how they, it makes sense. Right. I mean, their, their bottom lines are effective. So they're going to do what they can to push against you and push against individuals like yourself, which there are, I mean, what you've been through, there's millions of people in this world that at one time or another has been through a situation. 
um, whether they lost a parent, a sibling, a friend through drunk driving. So, man, I, 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 I just, I mean, anything I could do to support you, your movement, let me know here in Canada and I'll, and I'll do what I can. I mean, it's, it's touching, right. And it's touching that. And, and, and it's, and it takes a special person to understand that your voice has meaning whether it's one person at a time, right? I mean, today, I mean, you're, you're affecting me, right? I mean, your story is affecting me. So it's one person at a time. I'm going to tell your story to somebody else. It's that domino effect. And it's, and it, you have to understand that everything you're doing, never, ever think in your mind, which I don't think you do, but never think in your mind, you're not making change because it is making change. Because every person that knows your story, every person that hears your story is going to keep spreading that word. Because I'm, I'm, I, I, I just want to go home and tell, talk to my wife about your story. And, and then she'll, it's just that, that domino effect. And it's, and it's precious that it is sad that a life had to be lost, a family had to be so tragically ruined inside and, and your heart so broken. But at least there's that moment of understanding that you put in your head that that my voice is going to make a change. And it is, it is. So I, I, I praise you on that. Thank you. And it will. You know, I'm, I'm telling you that the US, not just in the state of California where we're starting, just because, again, we have to use almost guerrilla marketing warfare. Yeah. Um, to to spread it, we couldn't go in one position because we don't have the money that our opposition does, right? Yeah. But the U.S. will at some point be at point of five, not just in the state of California, but on a federal level. We are going to get. I know I'm going to win this fight, and um, because I know science and statistics are on my side, I know I'm fighting for the right thing, yeah. and they're fighting for money. I'm fighting for my son's legacy. There's no comparison. So, um, I'm going to win that fight, and it's. I know it's. I know I got a long battle ahead of me and it's an upward journey. And that's part of the reason why I ran the Grand Canyon, to be honest, not just to prove to me. And I knew I was going to finish it. And I had a lot of injuries going into it. I need a full hip replacement, you know, and 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 I knew I, what I was concerned about was getting injured because I was going to crawl the Grand Canyon if I had to. And, but it was both to prove to myself and show myself, but also to show the opposition. Look what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to conquer one of the world's, um, you know, the, the, seven wonders of the world you think you can stop me you know it's not it's not going to happen so it's gonna it, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a change and and it's gonna be a long journey but but that's okay but again you know like you said not you know family members parents sibling and so on and that's just drinking and driving like one thing that we don't learn about is grief and one thing especially as men right as part of the reason why I wrote the book as well. I wrote the book for, for my son. I wrote the book for myself. I started writing um, when we le- left the hospital, you know, and I wrote, um, I wrote, uh, I wrote for, it was 90,000 words in three months. And, the, you know, it was more than, I never written a book. I never written period. And um, it became a book, but it was, that was part of my grief work, right? I was, was, say, yeah, charged, yeah. was running, writing, because you feel like you're going insane. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, and, and, and the problem with, with mental pain, right? With depression is that you, you, you just got to sit with it. You know, you just have to where, and that's why I understand, like, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of times parents, and I, I met a lot of dads, especially, you know, the turn to alcohol, drugs, and I get it. You know, you become so desperate to just numb that pain in any way possible. But the problem, like if you have physical pain, right, you have knee surgery or, you know, you break an arm, you get those pain medications that will take away the pain. And as time goes by, that pain goes away more and more, right, subduce. Whereas when it comes to mental pain, like you can't take 
you have to sit with it and it's so difficult and it's so painful and you just have to sit with it there's, you know there's, there's, that's there's what a, right um what did you say sorry 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 there, i was just gonna I, I, as you're talking something just came to my head right now like i i don't know the exact date and um it's probably it's been maybe two years three years um locally um there was a drunk driver uh he um uh, an absolutely uh, uh, some rich kid he got he came from i think he I'm, I'm i'm probably butchering the story but he got dropped off from his private jet at the airport pissed drunk jumped in his i don't know what type of sports car um and um ran into if i'm not mistaken it was a grandfather and three children uh killed them all killed them all uh the husband and wife lost all three children in one day yeah and years later, just just recently, maybe three months ago, the husband, after three years or two and a half years, uh, he took his own life. Yeah, yeah. And 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 actually, about a year and a half ago, not from not too far from myself either, a drunk driver, um, um, a mom and her two children. Uh, she was a school teacher. It was um, right before school started. She had gone to school just to set up her classroom. She was on her way back home. And a drunk driver at intersection took her and uh, her two children, and they lost uh, the husband, lost his his wife and his two children on the same day. So these just popped in my head right now because it was just recently that the gentleman had taken his own life uh, years later, a few probably about three years later, and it's it's the grief. And again, you know, some people don't take the lives, but the the life is over, right? They continue to to be, but they ghost uh, of of the former selves. And I've met so many of these, right? I had a guy fly out from Florida who lost his three daughters and his wife, same thing. His wife is actually basically a vegetable. She's alive, but he's like, I, you know, it's the best thing that could have happened to her, he said, because, you know, and, and you could tell, like, it's just so broken. It was just a few weeks ago here in LA where six people died, right? This nurse and here's the problem with drunk driving it's one of the few crimes where people don't look at it as a crime per se because you see this was a nurse you know you get law enforcement officers drive drunk you get you get you know lawyers and even judges that drink and drive doctors that drink and drive so it's 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 a it's a societal issue that we need to to battle and that's again the other side like that's what we're burning the candles from both ends right i'm trying to change the law but also to to let people know, hey, most people don't understand what the effects of drunk driving are, and that's that's why we do this. And again, you know, the part of what you know, psychology has always interested me, but and motivation, and you know, why was I able to see this through? You know, and again, I, I will always live with a, a scar on my heart, right? And I miss my son every single day, and uh, and you'll and you'll miss him to the day you're not here. I mean, it's course, never it's never going to go away. Never, never goes ever. away. Never. You learn to deal with it, right? You learn to deal with it, and and to live with that pain. And and the problem is, you know, grief is something that every human will experience at some point, but we don't learn about it, and especially as men, because we don't learn how to deal with emotions, right? So that's truly my my bigger mission is 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 that right to show that because a lot of times the stigma of being a fighter being tough and being macho right and if i can openly speak about emotions hopefully i can help others because that's the only way like you have if you try you can't hide it you can't hide such powerful emotions it's impossible and again it's it's we don't learn about it in school and and it's something that every human will experience even if it's a a pet you know a breakup uh, losing a job you know you're dealing with some form of grief and learning how to see 
depression through and grief through it's 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 again it's it's about the difference between living a, a, a positive and productive life versus just being 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 right being there until you die yeah it's 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 like i i, I think I, I mentioned to you earlier like i lost my um my dad um 16 and a little almost 17 months ago and um i'm the 45 year old that would talk to my dad three times a day like i would call him every night we'd have a conversation before bed every single night and um and it was just a sudden i mean didn't smoke didn't drink um power walked every day just had a a sudden heart attack and died instantly and uh, i had talked to him on may 6th at like 10 at night we had a long conversation i got a call at 6 a.m on uh, may 7th uh that uh, he had just fell fell down in front of my mom in their bedroom and passed away and had a, a massive heart attack and I was sitting down having dinner with my wife yesterday. It's just, I'm just bringing it up because you're talking about grief and it was our wedding anniversary. And we just, I dropped my daughter at track. I just came back from my gym. I met my wife, like, let's just, just we had two hours to pick up my daughter. Let's go have a quick little dinner. So we, we jumped, jumped in the car. We went for a little quick little dinner and, and we just started and it just came up my dad and I'm, I'm 45 year old sitting for my wife and, and literally tears just started coming down my face. This is a year and a half almost. And it is, it, it's, you're still, no matter what, and that's, and that's not my child. That's my dad that lived a great life. He was 75. Like he lived a good life and it still kills me. I still wish there was so much shit, more shit I wanted to do with him. So much I wanted to see with him still. So many things I wanted him to experience with my, with my, with my children, his grandchildren still. So it's, it's, it's hard. Grief is, grief is a very, and I see what my mom's going through. Yeah. My mom, my I, mom, my mom met my dad when she was 13. They got married when he got back from the army. Yeah, 13. They were married for 52 years. Um, my, da- they, my dad took early retirement at, at 55. My mom took early retirement too. And for the last almost 25 years of their lives, they literally never spent one day apart. And all of a sudden, it's amazing, but all of a sudden she has this empty house. How's she doing? Very tough. Very tough. Mm-hmm. It's been a very, very tough year, uh, 16 months where I've seen these, these different levels of grief, these, the, the pain, the anger, the, and it's, but it feels like there one day she's angry. One day she's got pain. One day she feels she misses him. Another day she hates the world. Another day she, it's just, this, it's just emotional roller coaster. It's very, I, I compared it in, in the book to being inside of a, washing machine and just being washed around with these emotions and yes there's seven stages of grief but you're right it doesn't go one then the other it's like you're going back and forth and it's different for different people you think you got getting better one day and then you're not and you know it's uh it's different too for me you know it's um like monday i dropped my son off to school uh, and, and, and for a moment, you know, as I see him, uh, running into, to school, you know, I got really emotional and, and, uh, you know, cause you can't help, but think, you know, I should have done this once already, you know, I should have done this with, with Liam. What would, uh, what would seven year old Liam be like, you know? So, uh, but again, to, you said you, you were crying, like that's, not to be to be afraid of that, you know. No, to at all. Hundred percent. Right, and and that's that's the problem. A lot of times, like I I've always known that I was mentally strong, right? I was a resilient person, but I never had to prove it to anyone. Now, now the world knows to to a certain degree, right? What what I have, but I know what I'm what my mind is willing to go through and what I'm willing to put myself through, and of course, that that's truly what 
what what humans need to practice and we become mentally weaker by generation because luckily we live in a better and better world but that makes us less prepared how to handle pain and and you know so we have to put ourselves through controlled and and structured pain sounds crazy but we have to to be able to prepare ourselves for 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 these type of moments and and understand that hey it's going to happen at some point in one form or another and and this is the healthiest ways of dealing with it so again that's you know that's part of the the my my mission and my and my journey and and especially again there's of course women too but it's i'm a man and 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 um that's why i can only Relate. speak more. and i see how men usually struggle more than women because we're not in touch with emotions and a well, lot it's, of times it's, 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 it's a mess it's a it's that it's that mindset of being the provider being the strong being the one that has to right brunt it which and, is and which is stupid it, it, we i mean of course we need to be the provider though but at the same time too we have to understand that it, it is okay to cry it is okay to that that, that, that you look it's okay to open up your feelings and understand that that you you're going through something as well as everybody else right and and being open to that right absolutely if you look at the greatest warriors of all times the romans and and so on, like of course you you you, you they, they were never not in touch with 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 the uh, with emotions you know and 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 you know a lot of times dads who mean well you know they're trying to teach their sons that oh, i got to be tough no crying you know but now you're raising a sociopath right yeah. like hey we have emotions and we have to let those emotions in order for us to be the best version of ourselves we we need to be able to to open up and speak about how we feel and i know someone who lost his brother um in in an accident his brother was was killed was hit by a car um and he's, he told me he's not his dad his dad never spoke his son's name again you know, I could not speak about it. And, and, and so, you know, we, the good thing about the current generation is that there's so much information. You look at parents that were born in the 70s, 60s, 50s, yeah, right? Yeah. Like they didn't know. That's what yeah. they were told. Be tough, be a man. Don't, yeah. don't, don't yeah. show emotions. But now we know that, Hey, this is what we need. So it is important to do, to, to learn, right. And to listen and to dare and to, to be brave enough to, to speak about it. And, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt like a motherfucker, right. It's, it's the truth. And, but like, even me speaking to these high school students, it's funny. I am planning on, on a, a post that I'm going to make. And, and this is actually the first time I talk about it. It's like, Every time I'm out speaking and I speak a lot, you know, I do a lot of speaking engagements and I speak about my son every single time. And and like today, you know, it, it, it rips uh, a, a very inflamed scar wide open and and it hurts every time I do it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do it because that's how we're going to make a difference. But it's also on some level cathartic for me because that's again sitting with that pain every time i have to relive it and it's the only way there are no other ways just like if you want to get into good free school there's no shortcuts there's no there are pills for performance enhancers but when it comes to health right there's there's no shortcuts there's yeah. no shorter way or sin and yes change your diet too but you do need to do the work and it's the same thing with the grief and depression you have to do the work and it's going to feel like it's the hardest thing you've ever done. And it's going to feel like, at first, it's going to feel like there's no difference. You're making no difference, but it is over time, one step at a time. 
we've been we've been at this for an hour and a half and it's crazy as i'm gonna have you back on because i wanted to talk school i wanted to do so much stuff i wanted to talk about oh man this has been a incredible conversation uh god there, there's probably about three or four times if we we're in person i'd be giving reaching over and giving me a big hug man i mean oh man yeah it's just uh a, a tough journey, but you're, you're, you've used your strength to do a lot of good and you're, and you're continuing to do a lot of good, and a lot of changes. So once again, I commend you on that. And, and, um, man, and, and I, and I was, I was like, I, said, I was going through your pictures and seeing pictures of, uh, uh, of Nico and, uh, Luna and just, uh, and, and the moments you have with them now and how you post them. So I, I appreciate that. Cause if you go to my, 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 my storyline is everything is about my kids and my pictures of them and stuff. So, um, yeah, I love I love that aspect of it as well. And um, thank you, thank you for coming on, man. This has been awesome. I'm gonna put how could how could let our let our audience know how to how could they support you? How could they support your cause? Your websites, everything like that. Give us all the information, and I'll put it also on all the show notes and all that. Thank you. So yeah, Liam's foundation is liamslife.org. Um, that's for the nonprofit that we have for Liam. Um, and everything that I do is on my website, Marcus Corval, M-A-R-C-U-S-K-O-W-A-L.com. Um, where it's kind of a hub for everything I do. You know, I have my martial arts gym, I have my online self-defense course that I teach uh, for speaking engagements to to buy the book. Um, you know, I'm writing a second book that's gonna take time to get out there because I'm doing so much at once and uh you can't it's hard to sit on many chairs at once and uh but it's it's gonna get out at some point and and the work that we're doing with the nonprofit you can find it all on there as well and um but yeah you know uh when it comes to the nonprofit the ways people can help is obviously donate it's it's you know we don't take a penny out of the nonprofit it all goes to travel events and you know doing things but we don't get paid it's, it's all our time and an effort to help others like for us it's too late of course we're doing this for nico and luna too but ultimately is to make sure that you know so other parents don't have to go through what we've gone through you know so it is a fight it's not just mine and michelle's and liam's fight right it's it's everyone's fight it's the united states fight um and it's not just even within the u.s like i, I hope a lot of canadian listeners that might think it's okay to have a few drinks listen to this too and and, and in other countries i know you know in in europe from because when i share this they, they're going to hear it too so it's important to remind and and again just be good to your community you know to hold take your responsibility that's 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 a, a job and and um yeah that's liam's life you know it's it's again lowering it to point of five is just the beginning we have a lot more you know someone asked me that it's like why point of five and not point of two like sweden and i said oh you think i'm going to stop when we get to point of five Ultimately, like our goal is to end drunk driving, period. This has been awesome, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me.